Take your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 73, or the 73rd Psalm. We are in the midst of a series that we're calling Smoke from a Fire. We're halfway through it, and so the first two weeks, um, we're last two weeks, we have two more weeks this week and next week. And we're talking about the fact that our emotions are often signals for something going on deeper within us. And so as we think through the emotions of what it means to, to live our lives and different emotions that are there, the emotions in our lives give us an understanding or give us a little bit of, a, of an, a picture into what's really happening inside. And we've based that on a quote from, an, from somebody from several hundred years ago, Augustine, who said that, that our emotions are like smoke from a fire to what's really happening inside of us. But Augustine was not the first one to tell us that what we see on the outside is really a representation of what's going on inside. In fact, in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus tells us that. He says, don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? And so he's talking to some people at this particular moment who were saying that they weren't washing their hands, they weren't eating properly. And he says, listen, it's not what goes into the body that makes you dirty. That will be eliminated, he says. But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And that defiles a person. One of the things about the emotions in our lives is that it comes out like it comes out either in our in the way we talk or the way we act or the things that we do. And the point of the emotion is not the emotion itself. It's what's underlying it. What is deep in there? What is underneath it? Jesus goes on to say in the next verse for from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual morality, thefts, false testimonies and slander. And the point he's making is we look at all these things and we think, boy, that's what makes them evil is because they murdered or because they committed sexual morality or because there's false testimonies. And his point is, no, what made them evil is or what those evil acts are or a result of what goes on inside internally in our lives. And so the first week we talked about the fact that sometimes our emotions can be like a check engine light. And today I want to talk briefly about that with the emotion of anger and then talk about ways that we can maybe handle that a little bit better. The first week we talked about in this series confusion and we live in a confusing world and how that when confusion is reigning, how do we navigate those decisions? The second week we talked about last week, depression or sadness. How do we navigate that? And then this week, anger. And we are all people that experience anger. And we all know that anger is not necessarily good and can be destructive in our lives and our relationships. We also know there are good ways and bad ways to handle anger. I read this week about an elderly couple who had had many fights over the years and particularly the wife in those fights got her voice elevated and they were talking about it one night and this was late in their life and she said, honey, I'm sorry I've blown up on you so many times over the years. She said, I just want to know, how did you stay so calm when I blew up? And he said, oh, that was easy. He said, after you would blow up, I would go clean the toilet. And she said, that really helps. He said, well, it was with your toothbrush. So, okay, that may be, I made a little much before lunch, all right? But there are some proper ways to handle anger and some improper ways. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord, right? No, I can't. But if I could, you agree, there are proper ways and improper ways to handle it. Uh, one of uh, the most famous um, sitcoms of all time was Seinfeld. And on that show, a guy named George Costanza often showed us how not to handle anger. 
Remember in one episode in particular, he left an angry voicemail on somebody's answering machine. Do y'all remember answering machines? Do y'all remember those? Had tapes in them and all that. How many of you remember an answering machine? How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? All right. And he leaves a message on there and he tries to figure out a way to sneak into the apartment and switch the tapes, right? Anybody here ever sent an email and wish that that Google function actually worked of the retrieve the email? You send an email and a couple of minutes later, like, oh, why did I send that? Or put a post up online or you send a text or do something with a reply to all when you meant to reply to one. Or maybe I know all of us have experienced this. You, you, out of anger or frustration, you said something that you wish you could reel back in. Most of us can look back on our lives and see relationships we have lost or at least damaged through the results of anger in our lives and the way we responded to that. Let me just also say this to you. Just because you're the person isn't prone to outburst of anger doesn't mean that anger isn't an issue in your life. There are a lot of people that anger is an issue in their life, but the way they handle it is through silent treatment or passive or the cold shoulder or the removing that person from their lives or bitterness or sarcasm or avoidance or disdain. One of the guys that I went to college with is now a Christian counselor that has written on this, a guy named Brad Hambrick. Brad says that there are statements that we use that show that we're actually dealing with anger, but we're trying to convince ourselves we're not. He says the most prevalent of these is, I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. What's the difference? Other times we respond to people, well, why can't I have a bad day every now and then and not be a big deal about it? Well, I guess you've never made a mistake. I'm just tired of always being the one that has to say sorry. I'm sorry to unload on you. I just had to vent. Which means that there's something going on inside of us that whether we have outburst of it or not, it is something impacting us significantly. And let's face it, we live in an angry society, amen? Our news and social media is angry all the time. In fact, it almost appears that whatever side of a political spectrum or a news story you are on, that the purpose of our current news system is to feed the perpetual outrage machine. Here's what I want to tell you. I have no idea what's going to happen in the election in a month. What is it, a month and a couple of weeks? Six weeks or so? I have no idea really what's going to happen there, except for one thing. I can almost guarantee that at least 40% of the country is going to be mad after it. And that's probably a low. It may be 98% is mad the way things are going. Who knows? Whichever side comes out on top, you can turn to the other one's news channel and they're going to be outraged. It leads to us living lives of anger. I think that part of what's happened in the midst of this pandemic is we've been shut together or isolated or not able to carry out lives like we normally have. That one thing that has happened in all of our lives is that there has been this growing dissatisfaction and that we want somebody to blame, somebody out there to say something bad about. And anger has risen in most people during this time. Only reason there are more road rage incidents because there's not as many cars on the road. Well, here's the thing. Anger is not an emotion foreign to Scripture. 
And in Psalm 73, we actually have somebody that's angry. We have somebody that's angry and is expressing that anger in a psalm. It's a psalm of Asaph. We talked a little bit about that last week. One of David's worship leaders, a godly man, somebody that was trying to follow the Lord as best he could. And when we begin to read this, we're going to see real quickly that he is someone who is upset, who is frustrated, who is angry. Psalm 73, starting in verse 1, says this. God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. Now, let me just tell you what that is. That's the I'm in church and can't start out with something bad. Right? Like, in church, if you want to complain, you start with, well, I know the Lord is good, but... Well, I know that this is something that could that God can work out, but let me say what's really going on in my heart. That's what Asaph is doing here. God is indeed good to Israel. I know God's good and to the pure in heart, but for me, I almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. I was close, God. And then he tells us why. Verse 3. For I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die and their bodies are well fed. He said, listen, God, I was trying to live like you told me to live. And I look out here and I see people that are obviously not trying to live for you. And they are, they have it great. They have it better than me. They're not in trouble like others. They're not afflicted like most people. Pride is their necklace and violence covers them like a garment. He says, listen, God, they're not even trying to hide what's going on in their lives. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run wild. Listen, you don't say a line like their eyes bulge out from fatness unless you're mad. Amen? I mean, y'all think some of that's not in the Bible? That's there, right? They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the... Don't you love that picture? Like they just say whatever they want to about my God and it does not matter. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. So here's what he says. Now, we're going to keep it right there for a second, okay? He says, I'm mad about some things, Lord. First of all, I've been trying to live for you. I've been trying to do what you've called me to do. And when I try to live for you, Lord, I look out there and there are people that are obviously not even trying. And they are the ones that are making it better than I am. They have more money. That that whole, their their, their eyes bulge out from their girth, if you will. Listen, in these days... Being overweight was a sign of opulence and wealth. Because most people did not have enough to sustain a normal body weight. They were underweight. And so if you were overweight, it meant you had plenty to eat. He says, listen, I look at him. And then he said, this is what really makes me mad, Lord. This is what really ticks me off. Is that people of yours, your people, see their prosperity And they follow them instead of you or the ways that you've called us to. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, as people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. Next verse. The wicked say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease and they increase their wealth. They are always at ease. And they increase their wealth. 
You think he's upset? You think he's frustrated? He's mad, right? He's mad about it. He's upset about what's happening. He looks around him and he's not mad. Listen, he is mad at the wicked, but where is his anger directed most? Where is it directed? It's directed at God. God, why did you set up the system this way? Why is this how it has been? Why, God, why, when I have attempted to follow you? Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing, God? For I'm inflicted all day long and punished every morning. God, why am I following all your rules when it does me no good? And then he says, if I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. One of the things that this tells me, by the way, two things. First of all is that he took his anger to the written page before he took it into the sanctuary, right? Notice this isn't a public outcry. We're reading it. I'm public. We're reading it as a psalm. But this is a psalm that was written, and you're going to see the turn in the midst of the psalm. But he was not out there complaining to people and expressing this, riling people up in the midst of it. This is a private conversation with the Lord to start. Do you see that part? If I had decided to say these things, if I would have come out and said this in the assembly or among the people, then I would have betrayed your people, my leadership with your people, and what the purpose of that is. Next verse. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. And then there's the turn in the psalm. Until I entered God's sanctuary. And I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Like one waking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. He's saying, listen, God, I began to realize when I stepped back and I took a fuller picture of what's happening, I realized that living for you is best, even if it doesn't seem like it in this particular moment. Because, Lord, I know that ultimately following a way that is contrary to what you desire will lead to destruction. And I am following the path that you have set before me. And I realize that even though they seem prosperous and good and like everything's going their way right now, if you will, it's almost like, and this was not a colloquialism they would have used back then, but when we think about it, it's almost like their foot is on the banana peel. And it's about to slip. When I was growing up, I watched cartoons. I thought banana peel was the most dangerous thing you could have in your house. Right? And it's like they think they're good, but they're about to step on that banana peel. They're about to step on that rake in the yard that's going to spring up on them. And I'm going to keep following you. When I became embittered, that sounds like the words of an angry man, right? And my innermost being was wounded. I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal toward you. He turns his harshness on them, right? And on God, where does he turn that harshness to? himself 
He says, listen, God, and then I got a bigger picture and I realized that you are God, you're in control. And I realized that when in my anger towards you, when I was declaring this in my mind, when I was thinking this in my mind, as I've written it down, as I thought about it, when I entered the sanctuary, I realized, God, you were in control, that you have given me good things, that I should think about the eternal future of what I have, my destiny going forward. And as I did that, I realized, can you go back one verse there, Josh? Uh, You realized that I was wounded, yes, and I was embittered. But in the midst of that, I was ignorant. He uses a word here that's, that's some in my house still consider a bad word, right? Stupid. He's calling himself that. As somebody that is uneducated or not thinking in a right way. And I was an un... I mean, he, he's thinking, I have removed... Basically, when you think about an unthinking animal, it is the comparison that I had become like a creature that you have created that is not in your image. Because a creature in your image would give more respect to the one that created him. Next verse. Yet I'm always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards you will take me up in glory. That's like the first example of I'll fly away, I think. Right? Who do I have in heaven but you? I think about Peter in the New Testament when Jesus says, do you want to go? And they says, where are we going to go? We ain't got anywhere to go, Jesus. You're it. You're our past, our present, our future. You're everything. I desire nothing on earth but you, Lord. I don't want anything but you. Even if I got all that stuff out there, I realize it would not make me satisfied if I don't have you. Even if I get the money and the health and the fame and the fortune and all that comes with that, even if it looks like I'm prospering on this earth, if I do it without you, it is worth nothing. My flesh and my heart may fail. I may die. But God is the strength of my heart. My portion forever. I think about Job. Right? Job, who cried out to the Lord, he was told to curse God and die. And he says, even if he slays me, yet I will praise him. My portion forever. Verse 27. Those far from you will certainly perish. You will destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. Asaph was angry. He was upset. There's some lessons that we can learn from him that help us in those moments with the anger that we may be feeling, the anger that we feel inside, or the, the expressed or unexpressed. And this isn't going to be in our points, but the first is this, that he Well, let's go ahead and go to the first point. We'll talk about it in the midst of that. The first thing is he does, he cries out to God. Now, let me tell you, that's the first point from last week. And there's a good chance it's going to be the first point next week. Because where we start in the midst of all of this is, before we take our issues to the world around us, we take them to the Lord. Before we announce the things that we're upset about, particularly it comes about our relationship with the Lord, we make sure that we are aligned with God and we cry out to Him. One of the things that Scripture makes abundantly clear, God is never overwhelmed or concerned or perturbed by honest feelings and honest questions that come His way. 
You can be bold in expressing it. Listen, Asaph was bold in what he said, right? When he says, God, I don't understand. I, I was at this place at that moment. Now, he's on the back side of this, and so he's got a little more clarity on it. But he says, in that moment, when I was angry, when I was embittered, when that was going on in my life, I could not see how this system that you've set up worked. I could not understand how my life could be like it was when I was doing what I could, when I was trying to follow you, and these people aren't. And so he cries out to the Lord. He doesn't take it to the assembly. He doesn't take it in front of a group of people. He doesn't gather his group of people to be angry with them about it. He first and foremost takes it to the Lord. I mentioned the book of Job. In the book of Job, when it goes that direction, Job has all these people kind of telling him he could be angry at the Lord. His own wife tells him is the one that says curse God and die. His friends are unhelpful in the midst of that. And in the midst of it, Job finally and goes to the Lord and says these things and says, this is how I feel. Now, God eventually says, okay, stop it, Job. Let me explain some things to you. But he is not upset Job came to him. And whatever it is, that anger that is boiling in your life or is simmering underneath the surface, whatever it is you're angry about, whoever it is you are angry about, whatever is going on in your life that is causing that bitterness, that anger, that rage, whatever it is, you've got to take it to the Lord first. And be honest. (laughs) We talk about this sometimes when we do prayer stuff, that God's not impressed by your vocabulary when you come to him. He's not going to look down and go, whoo, that was a good word you used right there. Like in your prayer time, man. He's also not going to knock points off if you don't say things exactly perfectly. He's not grading your grammar. I mean, some of you grade my grammar every time I speak. He is not grading grammar. Just be honest and open about what's going on. When you think about the images that Asaph uses in this thing, their words or their tongues strut across the earth. When you think of the word strut, what do you think of? You think of pride. You think of somebody that doesn't care what others think. That's after he said that they set their mouths against heaven. The pictures here. We've already talked about the bulge out from fatness. Their imaginations run wild. They wear pride like a necklace. Now, why do you want to wear a necklace? Why do they, you want an adornment. It's to show off. It's to show what you have. They are wearing their pride like they don't care. And violence is their garment. They don't care. Asaph is open and honest with the Lord in the midst of that. But here's the second thing. In our anger, we respond as one who has been changed. That turn happens right in the middle of the psalm almost when he says, until I entered the sanctuary. Now I think for him that meant more than just I walked into the place where we worship. I think for him that meant until I walked into the sanctuary and I got a picture and a reminder of who God is and I remembered that we are God's people. We need to respond as people 
who know our eternal destiny is secure because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so whatever happens on this earth, while yes, it can get us perturbed, it can get us frustrated, it can get us in a place where we are angry, that the way we handle that ought to be handled like someone who this world is not our home, and whatever that grievance is against us is not going to carry on forever. Now, Paul deals with this over in Ephesians chapter 4. And I wanted to jump there for just a moment. You, you can turn there if you want to, Ephesians chapter 4. It'll be on the screen if you don't want to. Because in the midst of that, Paul gives this confusing command and then explains how we handle the anger in our lives. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. One of the things I love about Scripture is this, that it is open and honest about the emotions that we experience. And Christianity is not a religion that attempts to tell us, it's not a belief system that attempts to tell us to annihilate all of our emotions and just melt into nothingness. It is realistic about the fact that we are emotional beings. And the reason we are emotional beings is because we serve and are created by an emotional God. God is not just a status quo, never emotional. I mean, he speaks of his love for us in ways that sounds like the love that jumps from two young people that discover love from the first time. He talks about the jealousy he has for his name. His wrath and his anger are apparent. And there are times in our lives when anger is appropriate. Listen, we're watching a loved one die of cancer or some other long-term illness or even death quickly. We can rage against the reality of death in our lives because that's not how God intended it in the first place. When we see in our young people, in our own children, or in our friends' lives that there is a sin that is destroying their souls, we can be angry and upset about the sin that is in their lives, and rightfully so. When we hear people diminish the glory of God or are hindering the work of God or attempting to do that, we have a righteous anger that flares up inside of us. And we know that sometimes anger is okay because Jesus got angry. Mark chapter 3, he heals a man with a shriveled hand on the Sabbath and his opponents come in and say, you can't do that, it's the Sabbath. And it says in scripture, Jesus was filled with anger. Why? Because they are preventing this human being from getting the healing he needs because of a law that they had misinterpreted in the first place. In Matthew chapter 21, perhaps the most famous instance of Jesus getting angry, he walks in and they're selling all of this stuff and they are making a sham, a mockery out of the Gentiles' ability to come into the temple and pray to the one and only God. And Jesus, you know what he does, right? Turns over the tables. What else does he do in there? He doesn't just turn over the tables. He picks up a whip. Now can y'all imagine, we're going to have a business meeting after this. Can y'all imagine the middle business meeting? I come here and whoever's speaking, whoever that might be, Terry York's up here moderating, and I get so mad that I flip over this table and take a whip out and start going after Terry. I know that. Some of you might go, oh, you be mine, I'll ride with you. 
Ride or die. Let's go. That's what Jesus did in the most public religious place in Israel. And he's like, this is unacceptable. You have turned a house of prayer into a den of thieves. You have dishonored the name of the Lord and you have prevented people from hearing from and worshiping the one true God. Now here's the deal about our anger. There are times when it is good to be angry, when God's glory is diminished or the image of the people created in his image are diminished. And so when injustice comes, we have a right to be angry. When someone is deprived of their ability to hear or to worship the God that they serve, we have a right to be angry. The problem is, that's not where most of our anger stems from. When we really get down into, why am I angry, most of us will find it's because we didn't get what we wanted. Or we've been inconvenienced. Or someone or something did not meet my expectations. Now look what it says. It says, be angry and what? Do not sin. And so he says, so in your anger, first of all, make sure your anger is coming from a place. Because it is, and it's a high standard, right? We can be angry about certain things, but it's a high standard. It's a standard of, am I angry about the fact that God's name or God's kingdom are being diminished or demoralized or spoken against or am I angry because someone created in the image of God is being demoralized or diminished? If that's the standard. For most of us, it's because somebody's texting while we're trying to talk to them and they're not listening to me. Or somebody cut me off in traffic and they didn't deserve to be in front of me in the first place. Or we're at work and our contributions aren't being recognized like somebody else's. Most of the time, our anger comes from a selfish place. So how does Paul say that we be angry and do not sin? Well, then he gives this list that comes about what we should and should not do. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. So he gives this list of stuff that let's just be honest with ourselves that when we're angry, this list is impossible. All bitterness, God, I'll let about 25% go. All anger, all right, God, I got you. I'll let some of that, I'll some of that, some of that go. All shouting, all slander, all malice, that's bad thoughts about somebody like God. That's a, like, do you, do you know what they did? Do you know what they said? Do you know what they wrote? Do you know what they're trying to do? And then he gives us the reverse of that. Not only do we have to let all this go, then we have to be kind and compassionate to one another and forgive one another impossible and the clue comes in verse 24 that we skipped in verse 24 he says put on the new self the one created according to god's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth so back to old asaph asaph walks into the sanctuary he worships god and in the midst of that he realizes 
that he is thinking like someone who is not in the family of God and hasn't realized what God has done for them. And Paul says when anger comes into our lives, it probably reveals that there's something deep inside that we need to take care of. And that we need to be people that are willing to let those things go, to let bitterness and rage and malice go. And then he drops two things that are really important for us to understand on how to, hanger the, how to handle the anger in our lives. And the first one is he tells us to forgive. Now generally when I talk to people that have a place where they need to be forgiving someone else, there are three reactions that generally happen. First is they know they should. They just lack the courage to do it. The second is they don't want to because they think that means they'll be letting somebody off the hook that they won't get what they deserve. And the third is, they'll go through the motions, but it'll linger in their mind. And Paul tells us the simple way, not so simple, but the realistic way that we can do that, is that when we put on the new self, it says that we are to forgive others as we have first been forgiven. And then he also tells us this, that each day we are to let go of our anger before the sun goes down. Now, here's the truth. That is, if, if you, you know, I, I do a few weddings because I'm a pastor that kind of, they generally need somebody like me in the midst of that. And so I've done a few. And I've also been at some receptions and rehearsals. And one of the things that they'll do sometimes is advice for the couple. Right, You write down something on there and you put it in a bag or they come around and they, they film you. Hey, what advice do you have for the couple? We did that at our wedding um, 22 years ago. And almost always the number one is don't let the sun go down on your anger. Right? Which it's a great piece of advice for marriage. Ephesians isn't written to just married people. It's don't let the sun go down on your anger, not just in your marriage relationship, in your life. And the point of that is this, that you need to release it before you go to bed and trust God's going to do whatever God does to take care of what he needs to take care of. It's an act of trust. So we cry out to God. We respond in a way that shows that we have been changed. And then the third thing, that in the midst of it all, we need to reconnect with God. Asaph did that in Psalm 73. He does this whole thing about I'm with you and you hold my right hand. You will take me to glory. I have nothing, God, but you. I desire nothing but you. Who am I in heaven but you? And in the midst of whatever's going on in our lives, when you cry out to him, yes, it's important to be honest and truthful and to say exactly what's on your mind. But you've got to bracket that with, after you ask him how to respond and after you think through that, by reaffirming your relationship and the goodness and the greatness of God and allowing him to speak into your life. So here's my question for you as we kind of finish today. I want you to think of a situation in which you are angry at this moment. And if you don't have one of those, we probably could come up with some for you. My guess is, if you don't have one of those right now, that's because you are not being truthful with yourself. I want you to think about a situation in your life that's making you angry or, let's use the word, frustrated right now. And I want you to think about 
what does that say about what's going on deeper inside of you? I want to ask you if you have cried out to God about that. Have you responded to the situation in a way that shows that you've been changed and saved through grace? Have you forgiven who you need to forgive in that? Have you trusted the Lord with the situation instead of coming up with ways you can get revenge on your own? And have you had a moment in the midst of it or will you take a moment today or this week to reconnect with the Lord through it? For most of us, anger is not the issue. There's something deeper going on that we need to spend time with the Lord about. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just the opportunity we have to come to you with whatever is on our heart and our mind when we're angry, when we're upset, when we're mad, when we're frustrated, when we're embittered. Lord, we're thankful that you are a God who loves us and cares for us and is willing, Lord, to give us every opportunity to hear from you. And so, Lord, I pray that all across this room there would be people that would cry out to you this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, this week, as they deal with anger or bitterness that may be dwelling in their lives. Lord, that you would help us to become a people that respond in ways that show that we are saved, new creations, new men, new women because of what you have done for us. That we would not be like the ones that Asaph bemoans that have walked away and followed the world in their reactions, Lord, but that we would be people who would respond with forgiveness and trust in you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us in the midst of our angriest moments and our most difficult situations to reconnect with you. In Jesus' name I pray.